at the very beginning and at the close of Jesus' ministry, he did something. Shared it last week and asked the question, so all you guys should be scholars this morning. What did Jesus do at the very inauguration, the beginning of his ministry, and at the very close of his ministry? He cleansed the temple. Wow, this is two weeks. Third week, I'll be back next week with this question. Hopefully, yeah, I'm a little discouraged. I'm thinking nobody's listening. So Jesus did what? He cleansed the temple. And when he did, he said in Mark 11, 17, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, as Christians, we're quick to always point out to people that God's house isn't the building that we're meeting in, but it's the lives that he lives in. And that's correct. That is absolutely right. God calls us into unbroken communion with him. In other words, our life comes from prayer. That's where our life comes from. It doesn't come from going to a particular building once a week. Our real life, our life with God, comes from communion and prayer. Now, God's relationship with us is both private as his children and public as his body. So God has relationship with each and every one of you on two levels. One, your private life, your personal private life with him, and your membership in the body of Christ. God relates to you as a member of the body. And so, just like our life comes from prayer, the life of the church also comes from prayer. And that's why Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer, because I want my house to be alive. I want my house to be full of the Holy Spirit, full of me. But rather than a house of prayer, most churches have become simply religious teaching and singing centers. Um, and, uh, you know, I, that just is what it is. It is the tradition that, uh, that we have evolved or devolved, however you want to look at it, into. But, you know, I believe that the Holy Spirit is using this, this past year and the, and the time we're presently in, um, where COVID-19 has shut down businesses and the, the moving of people and has had a really awful impact upon churches that have shut down. Um, and they're, you know, trying to come back, trying to reopen. But, you know, of the churches that reopen, sadly, I think most of them are just going to go back to business as usual. They're going to go back to the way they were. Matter of fact, they're eager to get back to the way they were. But I don't think, I don't think that's what God has in mind. I think God has used this period of time to bring us to a screeching halt and to make us thirsty and hungry for him to the point where we will begin to seek new forms for our gathering. And not just new forms that are relevant to the culture of the world, but new forms that are relevant to the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want my church back as a house of prayer. Somebody say amen if you see what I'm talking about. So, here's what we want to do. We don't want to go back to um, 
church as usual. We want to transform from a teaching and worship center that has occasional prayer attended by a few people. We want to transform into a house of prayer whose teaching, worship, and all of its ministries derive their life from prayer rather than being launched as ministries and then we sprinkle we get two or three intercessors to sprinkle them with prayer. And then we wonder why they're not just full of the glory of God. So this week, last week, and for the foreseeable future, I want to uh, bring to you some thoughts about prayer. Now, these thoughts are designed to inspire your praying. They're designed to eliminate obstacles to your praying, and they're designed to promote some fresh thinking, some fresh ideas about prayer in your life. So what I'd like to do this morning is begin by just quickly reviewing the first five thoughts. Just want to touch on the first five thoughts that I shared last week, and then we're going to look at six, seven, and eight. Thought number one, prayer requires teaching. Prayer requires teaching. Without the structure of teaching, Prayer will not last. It won't continue. People won't keep praying. Number two, every Christian must practice both a personal and a corporate prayer life. Corporate prayer builds personal prayer lives. Number three, last week we shared that to be a praying church, people like to use the phrase, oh, they are a praying church over there, but they usually say that because they have a hotline. You can, you can call up and, and put prayer requests through. But that doesn't make a church a praying church. A praying church isn't a praying church until the whole church prays together, prays together. So to become a house of prayer for all people, all people must pray together. Number four, the fourth thing that I shared was that <clears throat> prayer is what makes the Holy Spirit the foundation of every ministry in the church. So even God's plans will fail and fall apart and they will not be fulfilled just because they're God's plans if prayer does not bring them into actuality and if prayer does not continue to support their ongoing progress, they'll dry up even though they're God's plans. So prayer is necessary for God's will to be done in the earth. And number five, the last thing I shared last week, prayer cannot be just a ministry of the church. It must become the culture of the church. There are three types of churches. Type A is the church that prays when there's an emergency. Type B is the church that has developed and has an ongoing prayer ministry. But type C, the third church, is the church that's permeated with a prayer culture. You know, there are some churches that have prayer ministries, but they don't realize that they're really not a house of prayer just because they have a Wednesday prayer meeting and an intercessors group over here and they pray a lot in different groups here and there. But do we have a culture of prayer? Is it from the pastor in the pulpit 
to the person at the door everything we do. We do because as we pray, God is directing us and the Lord is showing us what to do. So, okay, let's start today with our next thought about prayer. Uh, thought number six, prayer is not just one thing. Prayer is not just one thing. You know, prayer takes many forms of expression. You would be surprised if you were to make a list, and I've got one here, I'm going to read it to you in a moment, a list of all of the words or phrases in the Bible that actually refer to prayer. Because if you were to lay it out in a line and look at it, you would realize prayer is vast and diverse. But we, we there's maybe two, with some people one, maybe three, of these things that we think of as prayer, that we practice as prayer. But, but listen to this list of things that, that the scripture lists as forms of prayer. Adoration agreement, calling, confession, consecration, crying out, deliverance, impartation, intercession, meditation, petition, praise, praying in the spirit or praying in tongues, repentance, supplication, thanksgiving, the last one on my list is worship. Well, there's probably about a half dozen or more. And you might have been thinking of a couple just sitting there. But as you can see, prayer has many, many different forms. We are not a praying church if we are not experiencing all of those forms of prayer together collectively as the body corporately prays. Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians, about ministry and about prayer. After he talked about spiritual warfare, and before that he talked about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and the building up of the body of Christ through the ministry, he brings it all to a head, and he makes this comment about prayer. And he says in chapter 6, verse 18, pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, Pray in the Spirit with all manner or all forms of prayer. So Paul recognized that, that prayer, as I shared this morning, has many, many different forms. And the believers were taught back then how to experience, not just individually, but collectively as a body, all the different forms of prayer together. Prayer in all of its forms is vast, and you know what? When you put them together, you realize that prayer encompasses, encircles, and embraces our entire communion with God. Prayer is not just about getting a list of things answered. And it's not just about fighting with the devil. And it's, and it's not just about praying for Aunt Susie. Those are just a few, a couple of aspects of prayer. But most people's prayer life is centered on one of those or more of those things, and that's as much as they know about prayer, and it's as, it's as much as they participate in. But the fact is, is that when we embrace the full complement of what prayer is, what we've really got is communion with God. Communion with God, hallelujah. 
But as I said, most Christians operate with such a limited concept of prayer that it stumps or stunts their fellowship with God. You know, if you were raised and taught to eat just fruit, you'd be a sickly person. You wouldn't be healthy. But if that's all you were taught and that's all you ate were pears and oranges, you might not die, but you wouldn't be very robust. You wouldn't have the kind of health that it took to have a full experience in life. And sadly, many Christians exist on only one or two types of prayer. They don't even know that there are other types of prayer. So expanding our understanding of prayer into all of its many forms will open the doors of heaven so that people can fellowship with God with a full and limitless faith. Glory to God. You know, if you could catch the vision of it, the body coming together and beginning to grow in its prayer experience so that all those various forms of prayer that I listed are beginning to make their way into our collective prayer experience. What you'll notice is it won't just be three people doing all the praying. You'll notice once the body learns to pray together, all those different forms of prayer, somebody's always going to find... A, a connectedness with that particular form of prayer. And what happens is when we gather together, we'll have full, robust communion with God as a body and fellowship. And we'll be blessed and encouraged, not just by the praying we're doing, but by the praying we're listening to as our brother and sister are praying, worshiping, adoring, repenting. Have you ever been in a service where you've got a true corporate prayer meeting and the Holy Ghost is falling on somebody on the other side of the prayer circle and they break down in tears and start repenting before God. And you think, oh, this is embarrassing. I, don't, I hope I don't have to repent. No, you don't have to. There's all kinds of prayer. But God is moving and that, that, that starts to happen and you know it gets contagious. I've been in services like that and all of a sudden somebody else over here. Once that prayer goes out, God's touching them. Then they... You know, have you ever read, have you ever paid attention when, while you were reading the book of Acts or reading the, epi the epistles? If you do pay attention when you read the Bible, one of the things you're going to come up with is, why don't we do that? You're going to read a whole bunch of things we don't do. When is the last time people repented, confessed their faults one to another? That doesn't happen. Not in today's church. There are huge areas of communion with God we don't experience, but we expect revival. We expect revival. Why would God revive a practice that's only a portion of what he's called for? God's revival is an endorsement. Why would he endorse a church that eliminates 70 to 80 percent of the experience of corporate prayer that that church should be having. He won't do it. And you know what? He hasn't done it. He hasn't done it. And just thinking that spiritual warfare brings revival hasn't done it either. Just thinking that intercession brings revival doesn't do it. 
And I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of those narrow views in a moment. But just, just I want you to understand that if we embrace a robust and full prayer experience corporately as the body of Christ, we are going to see heaven's doors bust wide open. And we will see the moving of the Holy Spirit. Glory to God, hallelujah. And the outpouring of that fresh manna from heaven. Everything that is right now bulging at the seams that heaven wants to pour out on us. But we are not in position to receive it. Because we're not praying. And we're not praying with a full complement of prayer that the Lord, hey, am I preaching to anybody this morning? I'm just curious. It's a little quiet. It's kind of quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. It's like being a world traveler as a multilinguist rather than traveling from nation to nation and the only language you could speak is your language. Think about it. I, I don't know how many of you are well-traveled, but I've... Since, since I was a little kid traveling back and forth between Europe and the U.S. and going to different countries, I've always enjoyed um, world travel, going to different cultures, different countries. And one of the things, particularly from my youth that I remember, is that when you cross the border in another country, it was another language. And the insecurity you feel when you're there and nobody's speaking English, no, it's, the world's a little different today. English is, is becoming more and more of a common language. But the, but the reality is it wasn't too long ago when you went to Australia, you went to England, New Zealand, South Africa. You couldn't really understand them too well, but they, they, they quote, spoke English. Um, but, you know, you went anywhere. You went to France, they spoke French. Went to Czechoslovakia, they spoke Czech. I guess that's what you'd call it, Slovak or something like that. But at any rate... Um, the point is, imagine being a world traveler and you could speak every language wherever you go. You never feel like you're isolated. If you've done a lot of world travel, you know the feeling of being in a foreign country for the first time and not knowing the culture and not knowing the language you can't communicate. And there's a certain amount of heightened tension and insecurity that you feel because you're not certain what's good, what's bad, you know, and, and, and it breeds insecurity when you can't communicate. Now, God is trying to bring the church into co communion with him, and we're not speaking his languages. That's what I'm trying to say to you. We're not communicating. We feel insecure. He feels, you know, these are my people, but we're, we don't, we're not communicating. And so God is wanting to bring us into great experiences, but we are not using those languages of prayer. So this brings me to the seventh, the next point. Number seven, the seventh thought about prayer is that corporate prayer is not just for intercession, petition, and spiritual warfare. I picked those three out because they're the three most common forms of prayer. They're the ones that everybody thinks about. I'm not going to go to Wednesday night because all they do there is fight with the devil. You know, or I'm not going to go to Wednesday because all they do is pray lists of prayer for other people. And uh, nobody wants to feel guilty for not wanting to do that. But the reality is, is when the corporate prayer gathering of the church is always just about one thing, you're only going to have one or two or three people there. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Corporate prayer is not just intercession, petition, 
and spiritual warfare. Listen, if the church's weekly prayer meeting focuses exclusively on intercession or spiritual warfare, people are going to drop out, and they do drop out because they become exhausted by the conflicts and the burdens. Spiritual warfare is exhausting. Who wants to come every Wednesday night and wrestle with the devil? But if you think that's what prayer is, you probably won't come until things get so bad and the devil's all over you like a five-legged mountain lion that you happen to go out to a Wednesday night prayer meeting and hope to get him off your back. If you think that's what prayer is, or if that's what we allow the meeting to turn into. Same with petitions and intercession. Just bearing people's burdens in prayer is exhausting. It's exhausting. And prayer is not supposed to be exhausting. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I want to make the point that since being a house of prayer is the highest function of the church, <clears throat> it's no surprise that Satan concentrates his greatest efforts against Christianity by making sure that the topic of prayer remains mysterious and neglected. Most important function of the church, and yet it's the least attended. And listen, I'm not just beating up on our church I think, I, I, I've been with pastors for years, and I don't care whether it's a little church or a huge mega church that has prayer ministries or a moderate-sized church. In every church, it's always the same. The smallest attended gathering is prayer, and yet it is the function that brings the most power and has the greatest results. Did James not say the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous makes much power available? If, if we really wanted the power of God, you'd think we would do something about it. Just, just something to think about. So, you know, since it's the house of prayer that God's wanting to turn it into, no wonder the devil fights against prayer. He keeps the subject of prayer mysterious. A lot of people don't have much of a prayer life at home. Not going to ask any embarrassing questions. Not going to ask for a show of hands. But, but really, there are people that have walked with God. There are lots of pastors. There are lots of people in ministry who have just about no prayer life. They only pray when an emergency arises. And they're the one running the church. And a lot of them lead successful churches. You can have a successful teaching and worship center. You don't have to have prayer to do that. Are you listening to me? Yeah. You don't need prayer to do that. And so a lot of pastors, a lot of people in ministry, very successful without necessarily having a powerful life of prayer in their own life, much less in the life of the church. You know, um, I would really encourage you to not only listen to what I'm sharing, but open your heart and take it in and ask yourself with everything that you hear me say, is this something that could crack open a new dimension in my heart or my mind? Am I opening my heart, opening my desire for this? Holy Spirit, help me to drink this in. Help me to let it speak to me. 
And the reason I say that is because Satan is very, very interested in your education about prayer. He is very interested in what kind of education you're getting about prayer. You know why? Because praying Christians overcome him. Those are the only Christians that overcome him are Christians who pray. No believer that does not have a prayer life ever really overcomes the devil. He runs them around, runs their life. But you show me a believer that really has a prayer life, and I'll show you one that the enemy attacks every day and loses. He loses because we overcome when we walk in communion with the Lord. And so the, because the devil's very interested in your education about prayer and what you're learning and what you're doing with what you're hearing and how you let it impact you because of it, he promotes imbalance and overcomplexity in the subject of prayer in order to choke out the church's prayer life. Amen. You watch those guys, cage fighters, championship wrestling, they get that they get in that headlock and they choke them out. And Satan chokes the life out, the, the, the prayer life. He chokes it out of the church by making sure that when prayer's taught, it's just overly complex. People just like worn out by it. I, I just, or it's just all one thing. It's just all spiritual warfare. Or it's just praying one way, loud, 75 miles an hour. And if you don't do that, you're not praying. Or the other extreme, I just sit and I meditate. I'm praying in my heart, which is fine. The Bible says pray with all prayer, all kinds of prayer. We should have a robust prayer experience. But the devil chokes out churches by choking out their prayer life. Finally, the, my last point that I want to bring up this morning. You'll like this one. I don't know if you'll like the other two, but you'll like this one. A proper prayer life is empowering and energizing, not draining and exhausting. A proper prayer life will empower you and energize you. You know, when a church practices the full spectrum of corporate prayer, rather than just intercession or rather than just spiritual warfare, then that corporate prayer gathering becomes about communion with God. And God replenishes the people, not exhausts them. When you come out of those prayer meetings, you're replenished. You are refreshed. You're not exhausted. You're not run ragged. You're not like, oh, I don't know if I want to come back to this thing. Again, you don't have to raise your hand, but does anyone relate at all to what I'm talking about. The little one-chapter um, book in the New Testament, the book of Jude, has a tremendous statement about prayer. I'd like you to listen to it. It's uh, verse 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That really is the object of prayer, is looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for ourselves and for the world around us. And so Jude, when he 
summarizes that goal. He doesn't say, beloved, when you come together, I want you to make sure you lock horns with the devil. And you need to take him down. I don't care what it costs you. I don't care if you have to be there till four in the morning. You just, just hit him with both horns and you nail him. And if you have to get two or three others to agree, you wrestle him down until you've got the victory. And don't you turn the lights off and come home until that's done. And of course you leave the meeting bleeding, bandaged, bruised. The last thing you're saying is, oh, I hope we get to do this tomorrow night. <laughs> That's not what Jude said. Jude said, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in, in, in combat with the devil or engaged in praying long lists for everybody under the sun. Oh, it's just... It's just taxing. It wears you out. You know, I feel guilty because I, I feel like, a, well, I don't care about anybody. Do, you understand what I'm saying? You know, when it's, when it's an intercessory prayer meeting and, and people are like, I'm praying, for the, 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 I'm praying for the people in southern Hungary. What's the people in southern Hungary? I don't have anybody like that I want to pray for. You feel like you don't care about anybody. These intercessory meetings. And I, again, I'm not trying to make fun of intercession. But you understand, because we think prayer is just one thing, people won't participate. They're worn out. They're exhausted. They're broken down by it. We have to revive our vision of what prayer is, what prayer means. De one of the thoughts about prayer is prayer involves intercessory, pr intercessory prayer. And another one is spiritual warfare. Trust me, those are big parts of prayer, but they're not everything. And if you don't put it all together and understand that it all has to begin and end with communion with God, fellowship with Jesus, and keeping yourself in the agape, in the love of God. God's plan for the body of Christ and the individual assemblies called the local church God's plan is to constantly replenish us. We should be walking out of church going, I can't take another service like this. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be, and that's the pastor, by the way. <laughs> so, and, and I, I'm going to admit it, I've, I've, I've gone home thinking, oh my God, I'd like to go to my friend's church next week. <laughs> but the, but that's not God's plan. God's plan is that when we gather, we are replenished. Amen. You know, there were some guys praying Pentecostal church, and there was a woman that every Sunday she was up there just crying, holding her hand up, singing, Here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this. And you know, I'm not, I'm, I say this tongue in cheek, but the guy next to her one week said, Don't bother, Lord, she's got a leak. Now, I don't know that that was really the case, but you get, you get the point. You know, at some point, we're supposed to be receiving. God wants to replenish. God wants to pour out. And that should be the, the goal of our gathering together, is that refreshing. And I'll close with this verse. Out of the book of Acts, the disciples, the 120 in the upper room, have just received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up on the balcony 
when he preaches, 3,000 people get saved. But before that happens, he's come to the end of his message. And after they've heard the message out of this freshly baptized group of Christians, they listened to Peter and they said, what must we do? What must we do? And Peter says, repent therefore and turn again to God that your sins may be blotted out so that there may come times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Glory, you know, that's what happens when you pray and the Holy Spirit falls. Yes. Times of refreshing, times of replenishing. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Yes. It just sounds awesome. Now I close with this. We have people of all ages here, but a lot of people here are kind of close to my age, which I am a lot older than I actually am. <laughs> For those that know me, you know what that means. But I will say this. Once you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years or more, you begin being like those guys in the Old Testament when they, when they rebuilt the Temple of Solomon in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah and, and so forth. And they had the big celebration and everyone was shouting and celebrating, but the old people were weeping because they remembered the glory of the former house, and this wasn't as good. And so there is a kind of weeping, there is a kind of longing as we look in the rearview mirror for those days that we remember of the Pentecostal outpouring, of the charismatic renewal, of the Jesus people, sovereign move of God. How many of us have said within ourselves or shared among ourselves expressions like, Oh, God, I'd give anything to get back to there. Well, there's no going back. God doesn't live in the rearview mirror. But the Lord that was Lord then is Lord today. And when we stop sitting around and going to church saying, Well, Lord, just pour out revival. We need revival. And we start remembering what it took to have that outpouring in those days. We realized we prayed together with all kinds of prayer. Those prayer meetings were robust. They were full. And the Holy Ghost was moving. Hallelujah. Then we'll see that filling. But I really believe God is going to take some of you that have experienced a couple generations in the Holy Ghost to bring the next great revival. I believe that. I believe the hunger and the thirst will drive you, drive you before the throne of God. We always say that and then we leave church and we don't see each other until next Sunday. But what if being driven to the throne of God means coming together in one accord, in one place? I think I read that in Acts chapter 2. And waiting upon God, ministering to the Lord. Hallelujah. And then the Holy Ghost begins to fall. So I leave you with that thought. I'd like you to turn off your device or close your Bible up and we're going to pray. And my prayer today is simply that, that the Lord will, will touch your heart. You know, I am not the best preacher. Um, I, and I know that. I, people that are much more capable of presenting, of preaching, a lot more exciting. Um, so 
I know that the Holy Spirit has to speak to you. The Holy Spirit has to speak to your heart. He can preach a revival in your heart. He can preach conviction into your heart. He can deal with you.